Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. How you guys doing? Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to the Nick Wilson Show. Sounds like a typical bastard. What's going on in Nick Wilson's mind? My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought. You're about to find out. Look who knows so much. Nick Wilson is on now. Welcome back. The show is back. We're vibing today. It's a Tuesday. No complaining allowed, except when we talk about the Hornets or Panthers. JK, LOL. Nick Wilson Show. I am Nick Wilson. You guys, uh, get ready for a good show today, because we got the bit with Beth coming back in about uh, 40 minutes. Beth Troutman, WBT, she's going to be joining us. God knows what we're going to get into. God knows what Itty Bitty Fitty or I will divulge on the bit with Beth at 1040 at 1120. It is Tuesday. That means Ellis Williams of the Charlotte Observer. We'll talk about the Panthers. We'll talk about all the things with the Panthers as we are, what, three, four weeks away from training camp. Scott Fowler, the columnist for the Charlotte Observer. He joins us. Coming up at 1220, he likes the Steve Clifford hire. I like Steve Clifford. I don't know I like the fit, but we'll talk with that and hash that out with Scott at 1220 of the Charlotte Observer. Steve Clifford, his press conference, going to be on this station at 1 p.m. today. Then after that, uh, Stan Norfleet, WFNZ personality, joins us, and we will, we will chop it up with Stan and react to the Steve Clifford press conference. But how the hell is everybody doing? Because we got a couple things going today. We got the Steve Clifford Day. And every time I say somebody's day, oh, it's Steve Clifford Day. I think of the Wolf of Wall Street where uh, they're introducing Steve Madden as a new IPO. And they, they call it uh, the new, new, new Edition Day or New Issue Day. And Jonah Hill freaks out and eats the guy's goldfish. That's what I'm feeling like with Steve Clifford day to day. But we also have the beginning of the end. I think it's how I put it yesterday. The potential beginning of the end as today is the start of the Deshaun Watson hearing uh, between the NFL, the NFLPA, Deshaun Watson's camp and the independent arbiter, Sue Robinson. And the basis of this is that the NFL is going to be asking uh, if you believe reports for an indefinite suspension and that they're it's going to start at one year. And I would be really shocked. I'm just going to let's let, let's lead with this one. I'd be really shocked if anybody in the NFLPA agrees to an indefinite suspension because that inevitably puts the ball in the court of Roger Goodell and the NFL. They get to decide when it's over. I can't imagine that anybody in the NFL or anybody in the NFL Players Association or Deshaun Watson's camp wants that to happen. And I also said this yesterday. I think it's really important because I think, like everything else, the Deshaun Watson situation has become this trench warfare sports take topic. To me, it is not a sports topic. It is It is very much a very real human issue that 
whether you think Deshaun Watson is innocent until proven guilty, whether you more tend to say he's guilty until proven innocent, the reality is there's a lot of lives affected in this. And sometimes we throw caution to the wind and we talk about things that don't matter. Well, the NFL has to set a precedence. That doesn't matter. Well, the NFL has to do this. The NFL has to... Listen, here's the one piece of credit I'm going to give the NFL. On the day that Deshaun Watson's trial and hearing with the NFL, NFL PA, the independent arbiter in Deshaun Watson camp begins. The thing that I will give the NFL is that the NFL is smart enough to know they can't win. There is nothing that they can do. This isn't eight years ago with the indefinite suspension of Ray Rice. This isn't five years ago, six years ago with the suspension, eight years ago with Tom Brady into Flakegate. It's not. Roger Goodell's power because of the CBA has been changed. And it was changed because the players were unhappy with unilateral decisions by Roger Goodell. So this idea that the NFL is just going to come out and... Oh, we're going to waylay Deshaun Watson. It doesn't work the same way in the NFL as it does in Major League Baseball. And I say that to say, I'm preparing to be disappointed on the punishment of Deshaun Watson. There's no amount of games that will surprise me. There's no amount of games that will make me say, oh, that's, that's too little. The reality is the NFL will not suspend Deshaun Watson for the next three years. And even if they do, Deshaun Watson will fight that, and he's going to negotiate it down, and it'll probably end up somewhere between 8 games and 17 games. But to people who are triggered by this, to people who have history of, uh, of sexual abuse or sexual assault, if you're triggered by that, they're not, nothing that's going to happen is going to appease you or make you feel better. And that's really disappointing, but it's just kind of a fact of of the way this situation is set up. But I do think it, when we get it back to football matters, quote unquote, I think you kind of have to realize that the fate of the Carolina Panthers quarterback situation is tied to what happens over the next few days and next few weeks with the Sean Watson stuff. I think there's one person, there's a lot of people in the national media who are dumb enough to suggest, well, the Browns should just make good with Baker Mayfield. Right? Tell Baker, you've got eight games. If Deshaun Watson gets suspended for eight games this year, those eight games you're going to be able to preview and showcase for the rest of the NFL what you can do. It ain't happening. All right, if it's ten games, Baker can have ten games, and then he, that's right before the trade deadline, they can trade him, and he can have a new spot. It ain't happening. There's 99.1% chance. I'm leaving a 0.9% chance for the other. 99.1% chance that Baker Mayfield is done being a Cleveland Brown. And that is as much because of the actions of the Cleveland Browns as it is about the actions of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield can be impetuous. Baker Mayfield can be a bit of a diva. Baker Mayfield is not for everyone. I can freely admit all of those things. The Cleveland Browns are also the same organization that three years ago got the number one pick back-to-back -back years and is still owned by a guy who's a bit of a goober in Jimmy Haslam. And the way they handled Baker Mayfield has been flat-out disrespectful. While chasing a guy accused of 24, now 24, civil lawsuits for sexual assault, sexual impropriety, they released a report saying the Browns are looking for an adult in the room. That is beyond insulting. If that had happened to any you or us, anybody, if this had been publicly played out for our jobs that somebody had said, we need an adult in the room, and that's why we're getting rid of Steve, an accountant. And then they 
were trying to hire a guy to replace you in public eye that was facing those kind of charges, we would leave so quick. Everyone would march out the damn door. But here's the 0.9% chance. If Deshaun Watson gets 17 games or more, and it's a firm suspension, everybody agrees it's going to be one full season. One, Cleveland's going to look really bad for giving up everything they gave up in what will probably be a lost year. Two, I think the only reason why the Browns shouldn't go back to make Baker Mayfield if it's less than a full season suspension is because they're going to have to give him something to get him to stay in Cleveland for the for this fifth-year option. It's not enough. As much as we can say, well, he's got a contract and he's got to show up and play, how many times has that been proven that that doesn't matter in sports? If a dude is done, a dude is done. So they're going to have to buy their way back into the good graces. Now, I personally think the best way to do it is that uh, Andrew Barry, their GM and their head coach, come out and say, whoever leaked the report that we need an adult in the room uh, was not speaking for the rest of the organization, and we'd like to publicly apologize for Baker Mayfield. I think another way they could do it is that the, the Cleveland Browns could say, you know what, Baker, we're going to give you a $5 million bonus if you can play 10 or more games for us this year. At some way, they're going to have to make a mea culpa to Baker Mayfield. And Baker is going to have to do what Aaron Rodgers did two years ago. Or rather, last offseason, where he said, you know what, guys, what happened, happened. I'm focusing on football now. He had 200 million reasons to do that. Baker Mayfield probably has about that as much as well, because if he stays in Cleveland this year and balls out, he's going to get a big contract next offseason. I also think it would make sense if the, if the Browns went to him and said, listen, Deshaun's gone for more than a season, but this is your last year here. At the end of this year, we promise not to franchise tag you. So you can walk scot-free. If you have a franchise, if you have a great year, you can walk scot-free and you won't be taxed with the franchise tag. That's another way. I think the Browns can make good to Baker Mayfield. But that's the only scenario that it makes sense. So if you're a Panthers fan that wants Baker Mayfield, I'll say it again. I want Baker Mayfield in, in Carolina. There's a lot of people talking about Baker Mayfield that are talking out their ass. I've watched the guy play. I've watched him play more. I've seen the best of him the last two years. I've seen the worst of him. And the dumbest thing that I think people have done is they've, they've talked about his first three years in the NFL where he had three different head coaches and three different offensive coordinators, and they haven't focused on the two years that matter most. His best year since the Browns somewhat stabilized the organization was Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, which was the playoff year, and last year, which, quite frankly, wasn't as good. But for everybody saying how bad Baker Mayfield was or how mid, he's mid, Baker Mayfield is mid, that that's, that's somebody asked me on the text line yesterday when I was making fun of Freddie Freeman crying for four straight days. Uh, does it make you feel good to to laugh at somebody else? And the answer is, of course, yes. But my favorite thing about that is, I think I think people nowadays get off on calling somebody mid, right? Like, there's one thing to call somebody trash. It's somehow become more upsetting to call somebody mid. Oh, you're good. You're not great. Baker Mayfield was pretty mid last year. I would dare say Baker Mayfield was the definitive average quarterback in the NFL last year. Two years ago, he was one of the 10 best quarterbacks, 12 best quarterbacks in the NFL. 
I'm not making that up. You can compare the statistics, and he's somewhere in the top 10 or 12 two years ago. Baker Mayfield is everything the Carolina Panthers and Matt Rule hoped Teddy Bridgewater would be. He's got a complicated injury history. It's an on-throwing shoulder. It's still complicated. He is undersized. Teddy was undersized. He is an he is an undervalued asset. Teddy Bridgewater was a bona fide NFL starting quarterback, shattered his leg to pieces, and had to work his way back into getting chances to be a starting quarterback. Well, that's kind of Baker Mayfield. You only gave up money for Teddy, but you're going to have to give up probably some sort of draft asset for Baker. But distress process. Two years ago, if Baker Mayfield was available in trade, he would have been worth more than Sam Darnold was when the Panthers gave up a two, a four, and a six for him. A year later, you're going to get him less than what you got Sam Darnold for. That's a distress property. And more importantly, he is a he is a quarterback that is a game manager quarterback that can still win you games. The hope was if Teddy can just make three to five throws a game down the field and manage the ball the rest of the time, right, and we're going to run the ball, then you can win with Teddy. That's exactly what Baker Mayfield is. You can run the ball 30 times a game. He's going to mostly protect the football. The last two years, he's got 21 interceptions in two years. His best season, he only had eight interceptions on right about 500 throws. The only way that he's not exactly what Matt Rule wanted in a quarterback three years ago when he took this job is, he's a little bit of a diva. I'll take that risk, especially when there aren't a lot of better risks to take. There are no. Let's put it that way. There are no better options than Baker Mayfield. Jimmy Garoppolo is a simp. He had, he had his own teammates. He had Martellus Bennett. Call him the P word. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I was actually the B word. That's not what I want this locker room to see. Sam Darnold is a jamoke. Matt Corral might be somebody one day. He's nobody right now until proven otherwise. 704-570-9610. Hit me up on the Garage Door Guru text line. I want to hear from you there. I want to hear from you at Nick Wilson says. As we get this show started, I'll ask you, do you look at the situation with Deshaun Watson and do you look at it a little nervously that it might either help or hinder Carolina's chances to get Baker Mayfield here before training camp and in town so we can actually have a decent starting quarterback. The bit with Beth at 1040. A lot more to come on the show today. We got Steve Clifford Day. So much more on Sports Radio 92.7 FNC. that best friend right like we've all had that best friend that was in a relationship at one time they break up and then all of a sudden you get that text message like oh guess who i'm talking to and you as the best friend have to pretend to be excited because you knew how it ended and you expect it to end in the same way and i think that's what hornets fans feel right now with clifford he, he's that ex he's coming back into the picture you saw how it ended before and you're expecting it to end the same way Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ, welcome back to the Nick Wilson Show. That was Carlin Gay on the show yesterday of uh, the Sporting News. If you guys didn't get to hear that interview, WFNZ.com for the full interview, of course, for all of our hours, bits, and whatnot. But the best part about that is Carlin didn't realize he was literally describing a situation on this show where when Itty Bitty Fitty, now his ex again, when Itty Bitty Fitty started to date his 
his ex again back in, what was that, December or January? It started in January. I had to lie every day to him and be like, this is going to go great. This is, there's no warning signs here in no way. I'm just, buddy, I'm so happy for you. You're getting a little peace every now and then. Good for you. And the second it ended, I was like, can I just talk about how much I hated her now? <laughs> can, I, can I just tell you how bad she was for you and how unhappy you were? And now he's talking about Steve Clifford was Carlin Gay. But as I was listening to it yesterday, I was like, uh, at some point, I got to own this one that this is exactly what happened between me and Itty Bitty Fitty. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of scary how revealing that was. Like Matt kind of made the same analogy on the morning show yesterday, but none of those guys have went back to their exes. I went back to the same ex three times. So does that make you Steve Clifford or does that make her Steve Clifford? Does it make me Steve Clifford? Because I know I knew both times going back yeah, how it was still gonna end. <laughs> and But you were like, it's been a year since I've uh I've been to the Sahara in this drought, so uh, let's go ahead and run this uh, this thing into an embankment. The best part about it now, and hopefully this isn't going to be the same case for the Hornets, I can look back and laugh at that stupid, the, the, the how stupid I was. Hopefully four years from now, we're celebrating Steve Clifford, not firing him again. Yeah, I will say this. On Steve Clifford Day, because Steve Clifford going to be introduced today uh, to the Charlotte media. That's 1 p.m. You're going to hear it right here on the show, the Nick Wilson Show, on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. you got to get the full plug-in. But you came away unscathed. Because your going back to an ex lasted about, uh, mm, carry the two, three months. Steve Clifford, I said yesterday, I think there's a decent chance. And it's always important for me to say this, because in case Steve is listening, I need Steve Clifford to know I do respect him. Sometimes I talk crap about people and it sounds like, like Matt Rule. I've talked crap about Matt Rule. In the end, I respect Matt Rule as a man. I don't know that I respect him as an NFL coach, but I know he's a good teacher. I know he has the markings of what I think a good teacher makes. They just haven't had success, and they've had a lot of missteps that I think are pretty goofy. But I still make fun of him. But, like, I'll make fun of the Steve Clifford hire, but it's not about Steve Clifford. I think Steve Clifford has a place in the NBA. I hate it that Steve Clifford, a guy who had success in Charlotte as much as anyone has in the second run of the Charlotte Hornets, I'm a little irritated that the next best job that he could get was the Orlando Magic. The Charlotte Hornets probably around the NBA are looked at as one of the five or ten most dysfunctional, cheapest, worst organizations to work for in the NBA. That's what Michael Jordan, the owner, has reaped and sowed for the, uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. You and I, our perspective on the Hornets have changed because of LaMelo. They've changed because of Cupcheck. They've changed because of Miles Bridges. In, in, whether you like him or not, whether you liked him as a coach or not, they changed because of James Borrego. And the last two months, Michael Jordan has taken all that and realized you are, in my opinion, changed around the NBA. The opinion of the Hornets hasn't changed yet. People are more interested in the Hornets than they've been in a long time, but the uh, the opinion of the organization itself has not changed. And that was before they fired James Borrego, ran a two and a half month, co uh, month coaching search with one false in uh, one false finish, and then brought back the guy that they fired so they could hire James Borrego. The Hornets are a laughing stock of the NBA right now. The Magic somehow are a bigger laughing stock. So I hate that Steve Clifford, his two chances, in, well, now three chances in the NBA are going to be Charlotte, Orlando, and Charlotte. I think he's a good coach. I would have loved to see him 
uh, in a situation where he had a team a year or two ahead of where Charlotte is, maybe with a couple older guys. Like uh, the situation in Phoenix, even though Booker and Aiton were still really young, the situation in Phoenix when they traded for Chris Paul. So you've got a veteran who you can use as your conduit. But this many young guys, I'm worried about that. I hope today Steve Kerr can, uh, Steve Kerr, Steve Clifford can kind of answer to that today. How does he plan? How much of an adaptation does he think, both stylistically, offensively, does he think he needs, and how much does he need to adapt into how he relates to players? Because, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter if you're a good coach or not. It doesn't matter if you're a good teacher or not. If you've had success in the NBA, Stan Van Gundy has had a lot of success in the NBA. Two years ago, he went to New Orleans, and it was an unmitigated disaster. Is some of that that Zion was hurt? Sure. A lot of that was Stan Van Gundy's relationship with the players in the organization didn't work. I don't know definitively that's what's going to happen with Steve Clifford here. But it's a real possibility. Being a good coach is the first thing you need to be. The fit is the next thing you really need. And it feels like the Hornets were less concerned about true fit ideological how people think you know the the pace of play that's something mitch called out in the the, the press release oh we're gonna play the same way we did last year under steve clifford no you're not and if you are it's gonna piss steve clifford off steve is a has a very specific brand of basketball he likes to play he played it in charlotte he played in orlando that's important to know going in but because I do think Steve Clifford is a good coach, I do think that there's a chance it can work. I don't think the Hornets are too talented not to, to, to not fail. That's not what I'm saying. But there's so much talent here. And it starts with re-signing Miles Bridges. That'll be the first move that they can make, whether that's for $40 million a year or $30 million a year. People sitting here being like, well, I'm not going to pay Miles Bridges max money. What in the hell are you talking about? We'll get to that later. But getting back to this specific thing, you got to resign Miles. But Miles and LaMelo, along with all the other cadre of talent, Terry Rozier probably isn't one of the three best players on a championship team. Terry Rozier is a starting player in the NBA and a good starting player. Gordon Hayward, when he plays, is still a very good starting player in the NBA. You look at a lot of the youth that they have. Uh, Jalen McDaniels, to me, is one of the most underrated guys on this roster. I'm really hopeful that he's a guy that Clifford can, can help go to the next level. Because he does so many of the little things. He's that kind of bench player. I, you want to call him a spark plug? Sure. I I think that kid, we haven't even begun to see the best of him. I love Jalen McDaniels. And if, if they're dumb enough to trade him, a pox on them. Seriously. Love that guy. I'd rather see Jalen get a bigger role next year than them re-sign Cody Martin. All due respect to Cody Martin. But looking to where the Hornets are right now. Resign Miles. And then it's about meeting, then it's about really, truly deciding who are you going to be. But I wanted to ask you this, because I'm not a fatalist. I'm not a fatalist to think this is automatically going to fail. I don't like the fit. Good coach, don't like the fit. I wonder if they're going to have the patience necessary. I wonder if Steve's going to have the patience. I wonder if the young players are going to have patience with Steve. Hell, I wonder if this organization 
after Michael Jordan fired a coach after 43 wins. I wonder if Michael Jordan is going to sit back if this team struggles and not go full Michael Jordan on Steve Clifford for a second time. But I wanted to ask you guys, what's the best and worst case scenario with Steve Clifford? Because I think the best, if you tell me, draw me up a roadmap to this thing succeeding. Steve is here for two to three years. Steve works with all these young guys and helps them develop defensively without holding them back offensively. And more importantly, Steve unlocks the best version of LaMelo Ball, which I think plays on both ends of the court. LaMelo is a transcendent talent. Him helping LaMelo uh, reaching, reach transcendence, that to me is the best case scenario with Steve Clifford. Anybody? Isn't the best case what James Borrego's best case was, what whoever they were going to hire after they fired him was, was you get to the second round of the playoffs, you get more experience, and then you bring in the next guy to maybe get you to the Eastern Conference Finals? Like, like I never thought no. JB was getting you to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, but I see, I think that's just based off what you saw. I, I, I really hate the idea of, well, this is, this is what has happened, so this is what will happen. James Borrego walked into a situation that the, for the first two years of it was untenable. Right. He got the there is listen whether you think he got the most out of him last year or two years ago it doesn't matter. The first two years I can tell you definitively he's a good enough coach to win in the NBA because he won more games than he should have both of those times. Hell, I think last year in a pandemic, thirty three wins in a pandemic NBA shortened season. None of your uh, your rookie didn't have an NBA uh, an off season. For LaMelo Ball. And he got him to 33 wins. And then this year, I just, I'm sorry. I think if the Hornets had, if Gordon Hayward misses half the games he missed, I think the Hornets have a top six seed. And this idea, and, and, I'll, and I'm going to say it, the Hornets were not ready from a youth perspective to win a series. They nope. probably weren't ready to be competitive. Nope. So the idea that getting blown out in four games or getting blown out in one playing game is that much of a difference is laughable. Would I have loved the extra experience? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Would they have benefited from more games in the playoffs? Absolutely. But the idea that, the, oh, the Hornets should have gone to the second round of the playoffs. Or the Horn No, the Hornets are a young team with a second-year player in LaMelo Ball who's incredibly raw, and they also have their second-best player is Miles Bridges, who still has a ways to go developmentally. Their third best player is Terry, who had a bad year. Let's call it what it is. And their fourth best player is Gordon Hayward, who can't friggin' stay healthy. They weren't winning game this year in the playoffs. It wasn't happening. So this idea, oh, a Borrego couldn't have done that. Bur what is the difference between one playoff game in the play-in and three more losses? And probably getting blown out in a fair amount of them. So I, I disagree wholeheartedly that Borrego's not the guy to get you there. And I also, can I just tell you, I hate bridge coaches. I hate them. I just feel like that's where they were when they fired JB, though. Well, and I don't think that's a bad point, in fairness. Maybe the best they could have done is a good bridge coach. But I do think that's the best case scenario with Steve. I don't think it's smart long-term Especially with a GM that's 68 years old. Love you, Mitch. Especially with an older GM. I don't think uh, you need long-term stability to win. I really, uh, The key to San Antonio was not just Tim Duncan or Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker. It was R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich were there together for 30 years. That's why San Antonio. That's why San Antonio, post those guys, has developed Deonta Murray. That's why they've developed Jakob Pertl. 
That's why they've continued to develop good players despite not having superstar-level talent. But I do think the best-case scenario is Steve Clifford is a successful bridge coach. Whether it's one year, two years, three years, a successful bridge coach doesn't hold back this team offensively, teaches them how to play better uh, defense, and then gets into at least one second-round series. That's that's where it starts for me. 704-570-9610. What's the best-case and worst-case scenarios with Steve Clifford? We'll get to the worst-case scenario later in today's show because it's Steve Clifford Day, and I'm going to be a little bit more positive. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for Steve. Steve, I'm hoping they're putting you in a good position. The Bit with Beth next on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ, welcome back to the Nick Wilson Show. Coming up in 40 minutes, our Tuesday regular guest, Ellis Williams. He's going to join us, Charlotte Observer. I'll ask him, who the hell starts week one for the Carolina Panthers at quarterback? I probably won't like the answer. However, before we get to that, our other, re- I shouldn't say our first regular. I was about to be offended. Yeah, that, that the, the word other just doesn't fly when it comes to <laughs> Beth Troutman. It is time for the bit with Beth. And we are going to get into... All the various insanity yeah. about this. But I was just pitching you my Kevin James talk. Yes. Which he's a fat person for skinny people. That's the only kind of fat person he knows how to play. <laughs> and it is derivative and it is enraging. I feel like I need to know more about what that means. And you can tell me more if you would like. Uh, so I think the problem is any analogy that I have is probably picking something like a like a, like a way of life or a... a disability that people might better understand oh no no no. okay it is the difference between jim parsons playing young sheldon uh-huh. and freddie highmore playing young uh, playing uh, somebody with asperger's or autism freddie highmore plays it ex- on the young doctor plays yeah. it's a very real performance it's a very human performance of somebody with asperger's right Sheldon, it's a joke. It's a throwaway line. I gotcha. That to me is Kevin James. Yes, it is. It is a much less in a, a much more disheartening version of what Chris Farley did. But at least Chris Farley was knocked down, drag out, funny. So it's like a stereotype. Yes. A not a not well well thought out stereotype. It's winking to the wrong side. Oh, if you, if you I wink, get it. If you wink to fat people like, yeah, these skinnies don't get it, it's funny. If you wink to skinny people saying these fatties don't get it, not funny to me. Okay. Yeah. Now I understand. Yeah. Now I understand. And then the reason why we're talking about this, <laughs> I don't just randomly bring people on like, here, let me talk crap about Kevin James to you. You then, we're talking about this off air. We were not going to bring it on air. You then brought to light. Maybe the greatest thing that could ever be brought to light after I share my <laughs> Kevin James take, which was... I actually interviewed to be Kevin James' personal assistant. Did you interview with Kevin James? I did not. Hmm. I interviewed with his current personal assistant, but it was down to two people, me and another guy. When when was this? Uh, Let's see. This would have been uh, in the year 2000. Oh, so it was (laughs) like when he started to take off? Yeah. So it was before Hitch, but right at the beginning of the popularity of The King of Queens. We couldn't be friends. If you had, if you had worked for him during popularity of, Queen of uh, King of Queens, 
you would hate me because all I would do would be like, your boss still a jackass? <laughs> your boss still not very talented? I may have hated him. I don't That's know. True. I don't know. You <laughs> might have the same take that I have now <laughs> if you had only worked with Kevin James 20 years ago. I might have been like, he thought he was funny, but he kept winking at me. It was so weird. <laughs> He's winking to the wrong side. <laughs> uh, all right. What you got for us? All right. So, you know, I always start with some kind of food story. This one's a new twist on the food story. Have you guys been to a restaurant recently where you were like, oh, yeah, man, I like this uh, I like this playlist. I like what I'm listening to while I'm eating. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. happened? All right. Well, listen to this. A new study out of the University of Oxford says that music is very important to your eating habits. Low-pitched sounds apparently enhance the flavor of bitter food. Okay, so I should listen to like Perry Como if I uh, if I'm gonna eat something bitter. And it's gonna, gonna taste more bitter, I All guess. Right, honey, we're making something really bitter for dinner. Put on the Doors. Put on All Old right, Man River. Yeah. Put on really... Andy, get some Andy Williams up in this bee so I can fully enjoy <laughs> this very, very bitter food. And I guess maybe for this next one, high-pitched sounds do the same thing for sweet food. So I guess you could play like Mariah Carey's very first album. So is it just music, though? Or like, if, if it's sweet food, should I put on Roseanne? Bar? Yeah, Roseanne Bar. Like, well, put on maybe. some of her comedy and say, yeah, yeah. I'm like, God, this is the best watermelon I've ever had. <laughs> or you might, depends on how you feel about Roseanne Barr, because it might just make you nauseated no matter what you're eating, like sweet or, or savory. Or, uh, thinking about Pavlov's dog, maybe it could make you like Roseanne. Oh. Think about it. If you hate Roseanne, but her voice helps you enjoy spaghetti, if it's sweet sauce, spaghetti or watermelon or, or chocolate cake. more, yeah. cake more. You might end up liking Roseanne Barr. I don't know if yeah. that's what you want. I don't know if that's a... <laughs> you know, my life would be better if I just liked Roseanne Barr. <laughs> well, and then beyond that, um, music is really important to the bottom line of restaurants because apparently, and this is according to the Bulletin of Psychonomic Society, those researchers found that diners actually increased their bites per minute when exposed to fast tempo music while they were eating. I'm calling absolute BS on this. Are you serious? I, no, I'm calling out on that fact. There's like three nerds or like a computer program watching people eat. Th that's darkest timeline stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, the table two had seven bites per minute there and table four only had. But when we put on Led Zeppelin, uh, it had eight bites per minute. <laughs> Either change your career or we need to we need to change lanes here as humanity. I don't know who I should blame or how, we, but this is this is not okay. Well, there's apparently listen to this. There is science behind this because according again, these are the the, the psychologists here say that fast, loud music actually triggers your flight or fight response. And that sense of urgency makes you speed through your meals, which increases table turnover, which is increasing the bottom line of the restaurant. I just want to walk into Riccio's in two weeks. This classy, beautiful, elegant, you know, dimly lit uh, Italian restaurant and Valentine. And it's just like uh, Pantera, just blaring like walk, walk.
Okay, okay. <laughs> then you'll eat super fast, and then you'll get out, and they'll make more money. It is the bit with Beth. Beth Troutman, WBT, joining us here uh, on the Nick Wilson Show, Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. What else do you have for us? Okay, so this one I thought would maybe speak to your soul, Nick Wilson, because you are a father. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is a real fact. And you... <laughs> cool. See, that's my fact of the day. You're a dad. Um, so... What? <laughs> are you angling to uh, replace Maury? <laughs> Nick Wilson, you are the father. Exactly. Yeah, I know about it. I've raised him. I took a test, and guess what I found out? No, listen to this. You probably had to do the online schooling thing over the last pandemic year. Did you have to... Did you get into that homeschool, oh like, I'm God. just so over it moment? Yeah, yeah. All I right. did, like, two days in. Oh, And then it was, oh. like, a year and a half of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it was just a lot of awful. Well, there is a lot of awful for a dad in China whose video has gone viral because he spent an entire year training and tutoring his son in the world of mathematics. Mm-hmm. And then his son... After that year of special tutoring that happened every night, mind you, the son scored a six out of 100. So I think there, I think the, I'm going to put this on the dad. What they yeah, should right. have done is you should have taken a test day one. So if the kid got a one and then got a six, you'd feel better a year later. Maybe his tutoring skills just sucked. That's true. <laughs> Why, why is it always the kid's fault when parents fail? So I have a neighbor. I'm going to leave the names out because I love them dearly and I don't want them to hate me. I have a neighbor who during the pandemic, I had to go up and get my daughter. And the father and uh, the, the, son, the oldest son were up in the room working on math. And all I heard walking in the door to their house was, you carry the effing too. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, what's the dad? And he then like walked out of the room disgusted. And he, the first thing he sees is me. And he's like, how much of that did you hear? <laughs> and I'm like, that was me two hours ago with reading with, uh, at the time, six-year-olds. It's okay. There's a no judgment zone. But every time somebody talks about doing math with their kid, I think of, you carry the effing too! <laughs> so maybe anybody fitting is right about this. This is all on the dad, because maybe he was just screaming at his son to carry the two. No, so, what teachers, you're the best. I know it's on summer break, so more of you might be listening during the show. Teachers, you are the freaking best. And I learned it during the pandemic, because each of my kids learns and responds a little bit differently. Sure. And by the way, I know my children very well. I'm a very active dad, and it took me a while to learn how what were the was what the best approach was with each kid. Yes. By the way, two kids in the same grade in the same class, and I had to learn them differently. Oh, so that's hard. You had triple the amount of kids and oh by the way you don't just naturally love them uh nope could not do it S canonize saint every single teacher because they friggin deserve it <laughs> you sound like this dad from this story because he ended up just in tears and bawling and that's why the video went viral i might have you know like when you uh the, you they used to say in like the 60s to discourage people from taking acid no you're gonna have flashbacks that essentially is what I had when you talked about pandemic parenting, <laughs> because I just wanted to curl up into a ball and just cry for a little bit thinking about that. So see, I provide a service. I entertain and keep you from doing acid. <laughs> what was Kevin James's assistant thinking? Right. I mean, really? Right. I would have been the best assistant for Kevin James. All right. This is why you should have known me 20 years ago, because this segment gets you to be Kevin James's assistant. I'll say it right then and well, there. I don't really want to do it anymore.
Well, no, I'm saying 20 years ago. <laughs> you could be the president of Paramount now if you had just known me 20 years ago. All right, we got time right. for your uh, your final factoid. My fun fact. I teased this last week. I'm a woman of my word. I promised you that I would tell you what astronauts tell us that space smells like. Uh-huh. Farts. No. Ah. But I'm glad it's not that. It's actually seared steak, you guys. How? I'm intrigued. I, yeah. So how do they know? Because the only way you can s- smell what space smells like is if you take your helmet off, right? No. So apparently the smell of seared steak just comes into their space suits when they are out on space walks fixing whatever they have to fix on the International Space Station. And they tell us that it smells like seared steak. So I, I wouldn't last five minutes in, in space. You'd be eating the air. Well, yeah, no, because I'd be smelling it. And I'd be like, I want to smell more of this. <laughs> You'd open your helmet up I, and just die. I'd be uh, Tim Robbins in Mission to Mars. I'd, just, I'd be floating there looking really surprised, but also very content. And the last thing you smelled, though, was a delicious steak. I mean, that's a good way to, a good way to go. If you got to go, like... I get it. If you had told me, getting back to the 20 years ago, if you told me 20 years ago, <laughs> you know what, Nick? Uh, if you go to space, if you become an astronaut, you go to space, and then things go horribly wrong, and you have to die by taking your helmet off, mm-hmm. the last thing you're going to smell mm-hmm. is steak. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd be on Mars right now. You know what? If we had start, if we had known each other 20 years ago, I'd be the president of Paramount. You'd be an astronaut. That's true. We'd Probably be- dying in space <laughs> from, from smelling steak. <laughs> Beth, uh, you're the best. I love you. Beth will be rejoining us uh, Thursday at uh, 1040. You can follow her on Twitter at Beth underscore Troutman. When we come back, more on Miles Bridges' future, including a pretty interesting update from a national reporter on Sports Radio 92.7 FNC.